Imagine with me for a moment, if you will, a, a sometimes servant. A sometimes servant. A servant who serves sometimes. You sit down with three of your friends at a restaurant to order some food. The waiter comes, asks for your drink orders. You ask uh, if you could have a Coke, please. Goes around the table. Your three friends order their drinks. Maybe it's a Dr. Pepper. Maybe it's a water. Maybe it's a sweet tea. I'm from North Carolina. The waiter takes the orders, walks away, comes back with three drinks, sets down the sweet tea, the Dr. Pepper, the water, starts to walk away. So you say, excuse me, sir, uh, I, I ordered a Coke. Did you maybe forget that? And the waiter says, oh, no, I didn't forget that. I, I left it right over there on the counter. Would you mind getting that for yourself? I need to go take this drink order over here. You might look a little strange at this person. You might make some comments under your breath. You might laugh together with your friends. But then the waiter comes back to get your, your main order. And it starts with you. And you, you order a salad. The waiter doesn't say anything. Says, that'll be fine. Writes it down. Goes to the next person. You're at a barbecue restaurant. I'm from North Carolina. You go to, so you're going to order some barbecue, right? If we're going to talk about a restaurant, when I talk about a good one. And the, the, the person next to you, your friend, orders the meat trio. I like the brisket, the barbecue ribs. I'm getting hungry. The pool pork sandwich on a bun, some sweet potatoes with butter and cinnamon, and you don't even have to like that. That's what your friend likes. Back off. <laughs> so at the end of ordering that, the waiter looks at the other two and says, you know, those two orders are fine, but, you know, I'm going to have to bring this all out on a platter, and if you all order the meat trio, it's going to be kind of heavy. So if the, the other two of you could order something like like your first friend did, that would, that would really help me out a lot. Goes on to take the other two orders. A sometimes servant. But the waiter brought three out of four drinks. Isn't that good? The waiter was fine with two out of four of the orders. Isn't that a great batting average? A sometimes servant in any of the serving professions is so strange it's almost laughable. It's the nurse who remembers the medicine for four out of five patients. <laughs> it's the lawyer who shows up for two out of three of the clients she's supposed to represent in court. It's the doctor who most of the time washes his hands before he performs surgery. In any of the serving professions, when you think about it, a sometimes servant is so ridiculous, it'd be laughable if it wasn't tragic. But you and I know sometimes servants because, let's admit it, we look in the mirror. And in the Christian walk, we're often struggling with being sometimes servants. If you have your Bible... Uh, I'd appreciate it if you turn to Luke chapter 22, even if your Bible is digital, flip there, that's fine. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24, I'll give you the backdrop while you're looking for it. Remember, this is the Last Supper. It's the Passover meal. And just before this time, if you read John chapter 13, you realize that Jesus, coming into the room where they prepared the Passover, the disciples have served for a time, the disciples forgot to do one piece of the service. They forgot to make sure feet were going to be washed. And that wasn't an optional thing. Feet were dusty. Feet were dirty. Feet smelled like donkey dew. 
and you were going to lay down next to each other. Your head was going to be next to your neighbor's feet. You reclined at the table. This wasn't optional. So Jesus takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, picks up a basin, and starts to wash their feet. Luke doesn't recount that part of the story, but you can hear that context behind this passage when you read it. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be considered the greatest, Luke 22, 24. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials and I confer on you a kingdom. The passage goes on to mention their place. It's already set aside for them. They don't need to fight for a place. In this passage, in the backdrop of Jesus serving them, Jesus says, you are not to be, in my mind as I read this, you are not to be a sometime servant. You're not to be the kind of person who serves long enough until you can get into a position and then you ask everyone else to serve you. You're not to be the kind of person who serves long enough till you can get what you want and then you take what you want and you run. You're not to be the kind of person who serves just in a way that people tell you to, but when there's something that's left undone, you say, well, nobody told me to do it. We're not supposed to be sometime servants. That's part of why I think we're here celebrating Dr. Lowe today. He would be the first to tell you that some days he feels like a sometime servant. And every single one of us who know him well would say, but he's not just a sometime servant. It's four in the morning. It's 10 in the morning. It's two in the afternoon. It's 11 o'clock at night. He's not just a sometime servant. So we celebrate him today in this way, not just because we love him, but Dr. Lowe for us, whatever you call him, what do you call him, Umfundisi or, you know, Dr. J. Lowe or J.N.L. Steakhouse, whatever, whatever you call him. We celebrate Dr. Lowe because he is a really good arrow pointing to Christ. You are that, Dr. Lowe. You are that. And we want you to hear that today. We'll talk about him as we go through the service, but I want you to remember that the reason we do is he points us to Christ. I love the motto uh, that the Marines have. Do you know the Marine motto? Simplify. Heard someone say it. Simplify. You know what it means? Always faithful. Simplify, always faithful. The Marine chants that to themselves so that in the most difficult of circumstances, the most trying of moments, the most unlikely of assignments, the most unconquerable hill, they say, simplify, always faithful. Being faithful is not just something a, a Marine does, is who they are. So that when they're facing the most difficult, impossible situation, they don't balk. They're not going to train that hard and then refuse the mission. They're not going to condition their body so well and then refuse to sacrifice their body when the decisive hour is there. Simplify. I wonder what it would take for us as Christians to move from being sometimes servants, if I could use a little redneck Latin, a little Langlish or Inglatin or something, move from being sometimes servants to being simper serving people. Don't you want to be that? What would it take? I'm going to give us, I think, three steps that we can take. They're not conclusive. They don't lead you all the way there. They move you down the pathway 
towards being a simper serving person. Can you say that one phrase though with me so I know you're still with me? Just say simper serving. Simper serving. The first thing I think we need to do to move towards being a simper serving Christian instead of a sometime servant is number one, develop a servant's desire. You have to desire it. You have to long for it. You have to want it. I think a lot of times we back into things that we know we're supposed to do. We actually have to do something until we can get to the desire to, do, to want to do what we've already done. I understand that it works that way. But eventually what we're trying to get to when we back into it with actions is an actual desire that keeps us going forward. So I want to start with what we're trying to get to, and it's a heart-level thing, a desire to serve. The basic definition of a Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. The basic definition of a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Jesus gives a very basic, simple sentence to us for anyone who wants to follow him, Matthew 16, 24. If anyone wants to desire to, to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Then he says, when he's asked what is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In John chapter 13, when he's washing the feet, right before he does that, John tells us that Jesus at that very moment showed us the full extent of his love. Why am I sharing all of that? For Jesus Christ, for the Trinity, for all that we hear and read in Scripture, service and love are not disconnected. The way you show that you love is by concrete acts of service. Sometimes words are our best service to other people. We shouldn't discount words. But we need to give concrete acts of service to others if we want to love them. So if we really long to love, then we love to serve. If you really want to follow the master, if you really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he says love is it. Love is the greatest thing. It's the first and the last thing. On that, everything else hangs. But if you're going to love, you have to serve. So if you long to love, that desire will be there, and you'll realize that then you want to serve. I think the problem, probably for many of you, when I started going through that introduction, I start talking about simper serving, always serving. As you start doing this, you start backing way up. You start thinking, oh, my, this is going to be another one of those beat me up, make me feel bad messages, <laughs> right? I'm already doing everything I know how to do. He's going he's gonna to ask me to try harder. I'm trying as hard as I know how to try. And emotionally, you start backing away because it sounds like we're asking you to muscle it up. Even used a marine metaphor. What was I thinking? But if at the root of all of it, the root of the desire is you love somebody, you really love them, and you want them to see how much you love them, of course you're going to want to serve them. Megan Swan and, and Ryan Skull are coming up. They want to share a couple stories here about how Dr. Lowe serves as an arrow pointing to Christ in this way. I want you to just listen briefly to what they have to share about Dr. Lowe. So as an illustration of how Dr. Lowe has served as a Sempa servant, as one who has a servant's desire, you don't have to look any further than his prayer life. To me, that's the greatest thing that he has done for this campus. Um, that when no one is looking, that when he's at his most tired, 
that he is serving us through prayer. I remember times where he will send emails to me and to so many others of you. I wouldn't know about it. He wouldn't boast about it unless we talked together. Where he sends things three in the morning. Hey, I'm praying for you. I know things are hard this week. I've been looking out for you. And that speaks volumes. I remember one point, my sister did a special where she did music in the church. And he sent her an email saying, God's using you. Be encouraged. I'm praying for you. And she came up to me with her iPad and she was like, I don't know, Megan, I just, I just feel like I gotta like print it out and laminate it, like hang it up on my wall or something, you know, because that's what it means when you hear Dr. Lowe praying for you, you know that's not just flippant. You know that he truly is. He's got his books, he's got his things that he keeps records of those that he's praying for. And that shows the true desire of his heart. You look at someone's prayer life and you know whether they're truly loving God and loving people because they don't have to do that. No one knows, no one's looking. But that's Dr. Lowe serving in his desire for the Lord. So um, I was one of Dr. Lowe's students last semester. And like Megan was saying, he's always encouraging us and praying for us. But one of the ways he showed that desire in my life was, I think it was over Thanksgiving break, he sent out letters to all the students' families. And I remember my mom walking into my room holding that letter with the biggest smile on her face. And this was a smile I haven't seen in so long, like, growing up, I wouldn't see my mom for days at times, so or even for a week, because she was too sick to get out of bed, or she was at the hospital. But seeing that smile on her face was just so uplifting and encouraging, and out of Dr. Lowe's desire to love me, he let me see my mom smile again. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much. Dr. Lowe is a, go ahead, yes. Thank you. Dr. Lowe is a wonderful servant. He does desire to serve, and he is quick to serve. He shows that. I remember when my student, Dallas Davis, died on the way to my practicum um, assignment. By the time I heard about it, I quickly called my, my friend and my mentee, who's the pastor of Dallas. He was doing the service when Dallas wasn't there. I asked if there was any need for me to come. I'm happy to come. Tell me where you are. Tell me where the family is. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to come. He said, Dr. Lowe's already here. He's praying for us. He's serving us. He's caring for us. Just pray. And uh, the quickness of Dr. Lowe to serve shows his desire. And there is no way, I don't believe, to become someone who is simper serving without a deep felt desire to show love to people. You can't just do this because you ought to, or it won't happen. You say this with me. I love to serve. Simper serving. I love to serve. Simper serving. The second step down the pathway, so the first step was we, we want to try to get to the place where we have developed the desire of a servant. The second step is to be then determined to serve. So in the first step, if you're building that desire to serve, as that grows in you and as it builds, you begin to gain this determination that nothing's going to stop you. You are going to serve. Simple serving. It's not just enough to have a servant's mentality. You have to be determined to serve. That's part of why I love this story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
you think about this, I mean, it's a pretty nasty job. Not only is it a nasty job, but he has to, he has to get ready for this. He has to pull things together. And he has to do it in a way that is, that is quick enough to beat his disciples to it. And Peter is already objecting. He is running to take off his cloak, in my imagination, wrap the towel, grab the basin. It's almost like he's getting there first and he's happy to get there first. He's determined. And then he gets in front of Peter and he's going to wash Peter's feet. And Peter, you remember this, don't you? You remember this? Peter says, no, 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 Lord, you, you can't wash my feet. I should wash yours. You're the Lord. You're the master. Now, Jesus hasn't yet said what he says in Luke 22 yet. The greatest among you should be like the, the youngest. The ruler should be the one who serves. He's just trying to show them first. And Peter is refusing it, saying no. And Jesus won't take no for an answer. He won't. Unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. He's determined. He will not take no for an answer. Refusing to let someone serve you is really a form of narcissism, you realize? I want to be the servant. I want to be the one who's giving to others. I want to be the one. Oh, I wish I'd thought of that. Why didn't I think of that? No, no, no. I'm late to the day, but I'm going to win. I'm going to... That's not servant. That's not a servant's heart. Sometimes the best way to serve others is to let them serve us. But Jesus, we usually focus on Peter, Jesus in this story, his determination shines through. He is going to serve. He is going to wipe the manure off their feet, whether they like it or not. He is going to serve. He's determined. Take another example, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the churches in Macedonia. You might, have, you might remember this story. Uh, Paul is writing to other churches, Corinth for example, was a rather wealthy church, but he's writing about the Macedonian Christians who are extremely poor. He says, out of their extreme poverty, the, the, the picture there is of them being squeezed by poverty. Out of their being squeezed by poverty, what came out, what welled up, what welled up in them was abundant generosity. And then the phrase is, they urgently pleaded with me to allow them to give. They weren't just wanting to serve and to give of their time and their resources and their energy or their talents or their skills. They were determined to do it. Paul was telling them, no. Here's the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ telling you, no, you don't give. <laughs> Every pastor would love to have people like this, right? Instead, you're begging and urgently pleading them to give. What would it be like if Christians everywhere were saying, no, stop telling me not to give. I want to give. I'm going to give. Don't you dare rob me of the chance to give. They were determined. Jacob Thurston and Natalie Hayes are going to come up and share a little bit more with us about how Dr. Lowe's generosity shines through in his time, his, his giving, his resources, his energy. Listen to them as they share. Yeah, even just as you were saying, Dave, uh, like that, that tension where it's like, I want to serve you. No, I want to serve No, just let me serve you. Um, a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> Oomph took Megan and I out to Casa Brava just to kind of share a meal with us and everything and just kind of catch up on the semester. And as we were walking in, I grabbed the door for Dr. Lowe and wanted to usher him in. Wanted to usher him in. And he just stood there and shook his head. And just kind of did this. And I was like, no, you know, we kind of had this little exchange back and forth of, you go. And then finally I was just there's no way how it's going to win this battle. So I was like, fine, I'll go. And I even told him, you're just so sacrificial. <laughs> you're so sacrificial. And, and I think, first of all, just even noticing how even in the small things, Oomph is so willing to give and to encourage. You know, as Megan said, even just him sending out emails in the, at 3 o'clock in the morning 
saying I'm praying for you, or giving some of his classic words of encouragement. You're super in my books. You're pretty neat. You know, and those, those words may seem so simple, but coming from someone as um, Christ-like as oomph, that means the world when you receive that. And even his willingness to, you know, every time I walk by um, through Macon for my 750 on Tuesday, Thursdays, he's always there in Macon in the event someone needs him. And he is one of the busiest people I know, but he never lets that dictate him from dropping everything to serve someone else. And it's not just for us here in this university, but his impact goes way beyond this university and into Marion and to the, the whole world for that matter. We were exchanging some emails back and forth. And when I saw the number over the past eight years, when I saw the number just the amount of money that he had led initiatives to raise for bigger causes, things in Marion and other um, organizations throughout the world, I was blown away by how, not, the, not just how this man can give, but how he can lead others to give. And Oomph, thank you so much for showing me how to become a better Christian. It's been incredible. I would just like to echo that. Um, Dr. Lowe, you are one of the busiest people that I've ever met. <laughs> and still, you, you are so present with the people you're with. I can't say how many times I've passed him, and he's like, hey, how are you? And I'm like, good. And he stops me, and he says, no, Natalie, how are you really doing? And um, it just showed me that even in our busy schedules with college and classes and meetings and tests and everything, that you can stop and really look at someone in the eye and ask what they're going through. And on top of that, um, as an outreach coordinator, we have so many events on campus, and um, I would meet with him after events, and we would discuss them, and time and time again, he would say, well, I think this really went well, and I look at him, and I'm like, you were there for that? You, you actually saw that? And he's just been so supportive and so present at everything. I don't think that there's been an event or a breathe or anything that he hasn't been at, and I think that just shows um, so much of his sacrificial character and so much um, of his love for, for the Lord and for us to support us. And I just want to thank Roxy for that, too, for allowing him to be so sacrificial with his time and um, to spend with us and to show his support. So I just want to thank you for that. Dr. Lowe is an arrow pointing to the servant's heart of Christ. He is. I want you to say this along with me. I love to serve. Semper serving. I am determined to serve. Semper serving. And we love to serve because we love people, and we're determined to serve because we love people and we love God. We will be semper serving kind of people, even if we don't see it when we look in the mirror. Others will see it for us, and they'll, they'll tell us about it. We'll find out. The third step that we need to take is, first, we develop the desire of a servant. We become, dis we become determined uh, to serve. And then the third is, we just do what needs done. It's that easy, it's that simple, and it's that hard. You do what needs done. When I was in college here, uh, back in the day, uh, I was moving out of the dorms into an apartment, and you know what that transition is like. For the first time in your life, you actually get to pick who you live with. Isn't that amazing? And so it really becomes as a terrible surprise and disappointment when the people that you just handpicked who to live with just turn out to not be very perfect at all. Um, 
I remember the first time I walked through the kitchen and saw stacks of dishes that people had left for two days in a coffee mug with mold about a half inch in it uh, from a couple weeks ago. And I thought, I've, I chose to live with these guys. I did this to myself. It got so bad at one point that uh, my roommate and I, who kind of like things a little more ordered and structured, pulled our crew together and we had the conversation. You know, well, if you, if you use dishes, you should probably clean them. That makes sense to us. If you have dirty laundry, it might should stay in your room and not out in the common space. If you move the furniture around for some strange reason into an odd configuration that doesn't allow you to reach the doors, it'd be kind of you when you're done with that strange configuration of the furniture to move it back so we can reach the doors. That kind of conversation. We had the confrontation conversation, but honestly, it didn't really fully reach what we wanted. And a couple months later, a friend of mine who was living in a different room in the same apartment came up with the most genius idea for servanthood I've ever seen. He tapped into our selfish desires. He said, I got an idea. What if we play a game? And it's all based on the honor system. And basically, the game is this. You get a point when you do an act of service. And you keep track of it. Nobody else keeps track of it. If you open the door for five people, you know, that's a point. Something like that. If you wash, somebody, if you, if you wash somebody's uh, load of laundry for them, it was sitting out, and you do that, that's a point. If you, if you clean somebody's toilet before they can clean it, you know, that's a point. If you clean the whole bathroom, well, that's probably five points. If you clean the whole apartment, you vacuum in, you clean it, you know, maybe that's 20 points. You figure out how many points it is. It's all based on the honor system. And a week from now, we're going to see how many points each other has. That's all he said. It was genius. You get a bunch of guys who are selfish and competitive, and you ask them to play a game. <laughs> yeah, baby, serving's on. <laughs> and we didn't even start telling each other what the points were. We just saw what somebody was doing. Walked in, and there's my friend cleaning my toilet. Uh-uh! <laughs> Run over and clean his toilet. <laughs> Sitting in Baldwin. I'm eating and having a good time. Somebody gets up and starts to take over people's trays from other tables, people they don't know. We all get up and start, you know, eight guys working their way all the way across Baldwin in a systematic, very fast order. Can I take your tray? No, you're done, aren't you? You're done. No, you're done. <laughs> Stacks of trays. And then we realize we weren't really serving the people in the back of Baldwin if we have a stack this high, so we start separating them out. We did that every day. We started shoveling snow off of people's apartment driveways. We started scraping off uh, student teachers' windows, getting up early, because everything added up to a point. It got kind of crazy intense. But somewhere along in that week, the, the competitiveness started to move into the backdrop and the joy of the game, just for its own sake, started to take over. And we never had the meeting at the end of the week. And the game never ended. When I get together with these guys still, they jump to be the first to get the dishes done, to be the first to clear the table. These are the guys with a, a half inch of mold in their coffee mug. <laughs> and all it was was they looked around and tried to find something that needed done and did it. The only other rule of the game was you couldn't re refuse it if somebody wanted to serve you. That was the only other rule doing what needs done. Why did Dr. Lowe take over Dean of the Chapel? Because it needed done. Someone needed to do it. His community told him he'd be a great fit. He prayed about it. It seemed like God said it needed done. He, he's going to do it. Why is he going back to the classroom? Because his community prayerfully around him said, boy, there's a gap in the classroom. We really need you. Would you pray about this and think about this? And he prayerfully, he wrestled with this. You've got to know if you've read what he said, if you've heard what he said, this was a painful wrestling. This wasn't him just saying, sure, yippee, out of the chapel. Woohoo! See ya! 
He, he loved serving you this way. He still loves serving you this way. But as he prayed over it and he listened to his community and he looked and he saw what needed done, it, he wanted to be back in the classroom if that's where he can serve the best. You just do what needs done. It got to the point in that game where there were not enough jobs and there's only eight guys in the apartment for us to all serve as much as we wanted. What if in the kingdom of God, instead of us struggling to find people to get the jobs done, we couldn't find enough jobs for the people? What if at Indiana Wesleyan, instead of us struggling to keep everything clean and neat with the, with the pared-down staff that we had, the students were sort of giving an anthill effect to it, and people on staff were looking for things to do because you just saw something that needed done, and who cares if it's your job? You want to serve. What if Marion was transformed by a whole community of semper-serving people who said, I am looking around all the time, no matter where I am, for what needs done. I love to serve semper-serving. I'm determined to serve semper-serving. I do what needs done semper-serving. Wouldn't that be a better place? I guarantee you Marion would be a better place. Will you say those three with me? I love to serve semper-serving. I'm determined to serve, semper serving. I do what needs done, semper serving. Dr. Lowe, we're not God. We can't say over your life what we know God is going to say at the end of time. But I do feel like human beings in a community can speak over a season of life by the delegated authority of Jesus Christ to us. So, congregation, I, I want us to say this to Dr. Lowe today before I'm done. And Charlie comes out for a little fun moment. I just want us to say, well done, and good, well done, good and faithful servant. If you believe that to be true, will you say that with me? Well done, good and faithful servant. Dr. Lowe, we, we need you to join us here for a moment. I was like listening to the radio and there's a song called like Heather Delilah. And so I couldn't sleep. And so we kind of thought, you know what, what else we do? A little serenade of Dr. Lowe. And so we're going to put you out here on this little stool here. And we got a bunch of people that, um, that you've served with and that love you and care about you, a bunch of the chaplains. And so we put together a band. We even got Ty out here with the banjo. Your favorite, <laughs> so, right, your two favorite people right here. And so we just thought, and Roxy, we kind of stuck your name in here too, just so you know, all right? And so we're messing around, and we thought we'd kind of like have a little fun. This is about you. Hey, Dr. Lowe, you take selfies all the time. You're always running in the snow. It's a blizzard, don't you know, to stay inside. Eat some food and spend some time by Roxy's side. Hey, Dr. Lowe, you are the one we like to know. You always care for all of us. You are the one who understands the Bible so. 
Your life reflects the truth so well We all can tell And oh, what you mean to me And oh, Oompoon DC And oh, what you mean to me And oh, Oompoon DC What you mean to me Hey, Dr. Lowe, we know you care about the world. Yes, you remind us all the time. We need to reach out and be kind and care for souls. Loving people we don't know, it's time to grow. Hey, Dr. Lowe, we get to see you in the fall. We get to run around the halls and inspire us to follow Jesus' way. Make our life count for today. And we all say, And oh, what you mean to me. And oh, Oompoon DC. And oh, what you mean to me. And oh, Oompoon DC. You can sing it. And oh, what you mean to me. And oh, Oompoon DC. And oh, what you mean to me. And oh, Oompoon DC. Oompoon DC. <laughs> Dr. Lowe! Love you so much. I get the I get the feeling he had to do that when Dr. Rollo was leaving, not before, right? <laughs> That's great. You all sounded so good today during worship. My heart was so blessed listening to you sing those songs. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great last couple of weeks of the semester. Great things ahead. Love those finals. It'll be great at graduation. Before we go, Jim, we have a couple of gifts for you from your colleagues. Uh, one is some words of thanks from those that have worked with you. But Dr. Rod Crossman has created a very special gift for you. Jim, would you mind opening that uh, from your colleagues and your friends here at Indiana Wesleyan. Let's hold it up so folks can see. So this is a special painting, a crossman, of Dr. Lowe ministering here in the chapel. 
Auditorium. One of the special things of ministry after you've been at it a while is the people you've been with for a long time. My wife and I have served with Jim and Roxy for over 30 years now in various capacities, and uh, it's been one of the great privileges of our life to share ministry together with the Lowe's. And I want to pray especially for, for Dr. Lowe as he goes into his new chapter of ministry. I don't know if you've noticed, but very few people have any opinions about chapel. Did you notice that? <laughs> It's not an easy job to carry the ministry that he has with you here in chapel and to listen to all of what you share with him, the good and the bad, the complimentary and, and the not so complimentary. I would think you would have to agree that he has carried this ministry with grace, with love, with compassion, with class. He certainly is a, a gentleman that we love and revere and thank for his ministry. Dr. Lowe, thank you so much for the ministry you brought to chapel. Guys, let's gather around and pray for Dr. Lowe. Lord God, we recognize there are chapters in our lives when you lead us from place to place. You give us a platform to serve you when we're surrendered. And Lord, most of all, I thank you for the genuineness of Jim's love for you, the genuineness of his faith that flows from him effortlessly because of the kind of man that you've made him to be. Thank you for the way that he's walked among us as a genuine follower of Christ. Lord, thank you for giving him the heart of Christ. All of us who know him and interact with him sense the loving kindness in his soul that comes to us because you've taken up residence in his life. And now, Lord, as we look out into the future and we see the chapter to which you will lead him next, I pray for special anointing. As he continues his ministry of interviewing new faculty members, working closely with the deans and with my office, in interviewing every new faculty member, I pray, Lord, that you would give him discernment. That, Lord, as he speaks with those faculty members, they would come to understand what kind of institution we are at Indiana Wesleyan. As he goes back into the classroom and through his teaching ministry shapes students, Lord, give him a special anointing, I pray. And as he looks back on these days and these years and months of service in the chapel, may all the great joys rise to the top of his memory. May he remember the wonderful times you've met him here and spoken through him, the lives that have been transformed. And now, Lord, we claim the victory in the name of Jesus and through the blood of the cross on Jim's ministry as he moves forward. And on this campus, oh God, we claim this as holy ground in the name of Jesus, that your name would be lifted up in this place, that your Holy Spirit would be present here beyond anything that we individually can create. We pray these in the name of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever, world without end. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, guys. Um, Dr. Lowe's going to be standing over here with his wife, Roxy. If you want to come say hi and give him a hug really quick, they'll be over here. You can see the painting as well. We love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday.